Happy Sabbath, GYC. We can do better than that. Happy Sabbath, GYC. That sounds like you're awake this morning. I'd like to welcome you to our Sabbath services today. We are going live on 3ABN. We started at 9 o'clock, and we're going to be live straight till 1230. So we are in for some blessings today. Don't worry, our live audience will be getting breaks, so you won't have to sit in your seats for four hours. But we are so glad that you are here with us today. We have some exciting things planned for the service today, so I know you will be blessed. This morning, we're going to be talking with Pastor Mark Finley. And Pastor Finley is a man of God. He is the vice, one of the vice presidents for the World Church of Seventh-day Adventists. I was talking with him before we came up this morning, and he was telling me that he and his wife love the outdoors. They love hiking. They love swimming. Anything that involves God's nature, that's where they want to be. And he's a wonderful man, a man of God. In a few days, he's going to be heading to Taiwan, uh, to the World Youth Congress there. He's going to bring, bring greetings from GYC. So without further ado, I'm going to ask Pastor Finley to come forward this morning and share with us. Well, thank you, Luke. I'm looking forward to sharing about what God wants to do through young people in evangelism, and I'll reflect back over 40 years. Before we do that, we're going to pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have given to this church a mission and a message for the world at this crisis hour of Earth's history. Lord, help us to be faithful to our task, inspire thousands of young people here and around the world to go out with the torch of truth in their hands and proclaim the gospel of the living Christ and the prophetic message of end time to a world that so desperately needs it. Lord, help us to be ambassadors of hope to our world. In Christ's name, amen. Now, Pastor Finney, you, you were telling me that you've been involved in evangelism for 40 years. Is that correct? It is. Now, why do you think evangelism is so important to the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Obviously, it's important because you wouldn't have been involved in it for 40 years if it's not. Well, the reason evangelism is so important to the Seventh-day Adventist Church is because it's important to God. In Luke 19, verse 10, the Bible says, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. God had only one son, and he became an evangelist. He left the joy of heaven, the glories of heaven, and he came to earth. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says that it's, God is not willing for any to be lost. Isaiah 43, verse 10, the Bible says, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, you shall be witnesses unto me and to Judea, Samaria, etc. Matthew 24, verse 14, the Bible says the Gospels go to all the world as a witness and Jesus will come. So the reason the Seventh-day Adventist Church is interested in evangelism is because God is, because it's a scriptural mandate. Any church that is not interested in evangelism is disobedient to Christ. Any Christian who's not interested in sharing their faith, has really missed their calling. Faith is too good to keep to ourselves, Luke. Amen. Jesus is too good to hide in our hearts and not share. 
Amen. But, but Pastor Finley, you, in those verses it says that the gospel is to go to all the world. Aren't we fighting a losing battle? I mean, we have so many people being born every single day, and yet the progress we're making in evangelism seems to be so small. Luke, when does God say to do it if you're only successful? Never. You're right. Now, God never tells you only witness if you think it's going to be successful. It took over 35 years for the first convert to be baptized in India. But today, we have over a million members in the continent of India. So God calls us to share his message and leave the results with him. But Luke, for your encouragement, in 1863, when the Seventh-day Adventist Church was formed, there was one Seventh-day Adventist for every 373,000 people in the world. That is one to what, everybody? 300 and what? 73,000. Do you know how many Adventists there are to every person in the world today? One to every 430. Luke, that's progress. From one to 373,000 to one to every 430. It took the Seventh-day Adventist Church 107 years to reach its first million members. Today, we reach a million members every single year, new members. So is there a great task? Certainly. Are there millions that need to be warned? Yes. But the church is making an impact on the world with, over, with work in over 228 countries. But this idea that we should not witness because more people are being born than warned, this idea that the work of God on earth will never be finished, that is a human idea. With man, it may not be possible, but with God, all things are possible. We believe at end time that the angel of Revelation 18 will come down. The earth will be lightened with the glory of God. The Holy Spirit will be poured out in latter rain power and the work on earth will be finished. But the latter rain cannot bring to fruition any seed that has not been sown. God can't bless any literature you don't give out. God can't bless any sermons you don't preach. God can't bless any evangelistic meetings you don't hold. And he can't bless any prayers you don't offer. When we do the work that God has commissioned the church to do, God will rain down his spirit. Miracles will be worked. Jesus will come and we'll go home. So what I hear you saying then is that our job is not to focus on the results. Our job is to focus on being faithful in the duties that God has given to us. We work in the plan of addition. God works on the multiplication. Exactly, Luke. When you look at results, you limit what God wants to do. Because the Bible says, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7 and 8, higher than your thoughts are my thoughts, says the Lord, higher than your ways are my ways. So we don't focus on results. If the church becomes too results-oriented, then evangelism becomes a numbers game. So we are not in the church growth business. We're in the finishing of the work business. And those are two vastly different things. God has called us to proclaim the gospel. It's his business to soften hearts and to lead people by the Holy Spirit to accept that which is proclaimed. Amen. Amen. Now, in your experience in 40 years of evangelism, I'm sure you've run into some people who haven't been happy with what you're doing. They may have criticized your methods. How did you deal with some of those challenges? Well, I don't worry about the people that criticize their methods. It reminds of my methods. It reminds me of Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody was preaching one day, and a lady was in the audience. 
and she came up after his sermon. And, you know, Moody was a great, powerful preacher. And she said, Pastor Moody, I just counted the fact that you made 48 grammatical errors in your sermon. She was an English teacher, and she marked down every time he made a grammatical error. And he said to her, Madam, I am using all the English I know to win souls for Christ. What are you doing with the English you know? <laughs> Another time, Luke Moody was preaching, and a man came up to him and he said, I don't like your imperfect methods. And Moody said, I'd rather use my imperfect methods to win a few than your perfect methods and win nobody else. <laughs> now look, I can take criticism, don't mind criticism at all. Because, because one time somebody told me this, it's the people that carry the ball that are going to be tackled. Now look, don't worry about criticism, just do something for Jesus. If somebody shares with you a better method, use that method. But the problem that I find is that the people who are criticizing the methods of evangelism, giving Bible studies, passing out literature, holding evangelistic meetings, most of those people have not been successful soul winners. If there is somebody that is using some method that is anointed by the Holy Spirit where thousands are baptized, I want to know it. But the only reason I use the methods that I use in giving Bible studies, in leading people to Jesus one-to-one, -one, in passing out literature, small groups, health evangelism, preaching from the Word of God, is because those are the methods that Ellen White tells us to use. Those are the methods found in the Bible. Those are the methods that God has anointed to be successful in this generation. So we don't have to worry about the critics. We don't have to worry about the naysayers. We don't have to worry about the doubting Thomases that say it can't be done. We don't criticize those that criticize us. We simply keep working in Jesus' methods, not getting discouraged, and let Jesus bless our lives for the accomplishment of his kingdom. You know, that's really exciting because I think as a young person, I'm worried about a lot of things. You know, if I'm stepped out, stepping out and doing evangelism, I'm naturally going to be worried, what about the results? What are people going to say? What are people going to think? Because I've just got to be honest, I am much more of a people pleaser than I would like to admit. But with what you were saying, we don't have to worry about those things. We don't have to worry about what people think. We don't have to worry about the results. All we have to focus on is doing what God has asked, to, asked us to do. Luke, let me tell you a story that I rarely tell. It was my first evangelistic meeting that I ever held in my life. It was held in Trenton, Georgia. Trenton, Georgia is a city that, uh, a city, not a city. <laughs> it is a, a small town. I don't know how many people it has in it, but I do know that it probably has 20 or 30 churches in it. And uh, we had just a little tiny Adventist company at that time. I was a student at Wildwood Medical, or teacher, one of the teachers at Wildwood Medical Missionary Institute at the time. And I took my students out to hold an evangelistic meeting in Trenton, Georgia. We held our meetings in a tent right across from a ball field. We held our meetings in the rainy season and pitched our tent at the bottom of a hill. Um, I remember the night I went and the, the water in the tent was up to my ankles and we had to dig an irrigation ditch down the center aisle of the, of the uh, auditorium or of the tent and, and uh, to drain it so people could come in. They came in in their mud. I had to get sawdust and put it down about three inches there. I remember my sermon on the Sabbath and uh, there were about 150 people there, Luke, and I preached on the Sabbath, and I said, how many of you believe that Saturday, the seventh day of the week, is the Sabbath, and it's not Sunday? Stand up. Nobody stood. Then I thought they didn't understand me. 
In the book of Genesis, it says God blessed the Sabbath, God sanctified the Sabbath, God hallowed the Sabbath. In Exodus, it says He wrote the Sabbath with His own finger on tables of stone. Remember the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a sign. Exodus, Ezekiel 20, verse 12. Jesus kept the Sabbath. Revelation talks about an end-time people keeping the commandments. How many of you believe that? Stand up. Nobody stood. I thought they didn't understand me. I better explain it more clearly. I went on and on and on in the appeal. Nobody stood. The wisest thing I did that night, Luke, was have the benediction. The next morning, I was in a laundromat, and a lady came up to me. She said, Pastor, that was some meeting we had the other night. And then she said this, this old southern woman. She said, young man. I was younger in those days. Young man, you can't change 45 years in 45 minutes. She taught me something. I learned. In that evangelistic meeting, we did not baptize one person, Luke. Not one. So Mark Finley was a colossal failure by man's standards in his first evangelistic meeting. Not one baptized. But I know what it's like to stand before an audience of 100,000 and make an altar call and see 20,000 come forward to baptism. You see, had I given up after my first evangelistic meeting when not one person was baptized... I would not be preaching for 40 years. Something happened, Luke, in that tent that, that, during that first series. Nobody was baptized, but God gave me a passion for souls in my heart, a passion that's not left me for 40 years. There's nothing more thrilling, there's nothing more exciting than standing on a platform and preaching the three angels' message and watching people come down the aisle. When you consecrate your mind and heart to God, and you give your life to Jesus and passionately pour it out for evangelism, God will take those small beginnings. Despise not the day of small beginnings. Don't be so focused on results. Be focused on being. The theme of this conference is being. When I was in that evangelistic series and I studied the message of the three angels to preach it, God shaped my mind and my consciousness he prepared my heart and soul when I memorized hundreds of Bible texts so that later in my life I could look back to that experience and anchor it. Early when you give Bible studies or early in your evangelism, it is not what God is doing through you that's his most important. It's what God is doing to you. Something is happening in your heart. Something is happening in your mind. Something is happening in your soul. God is giving you a raw appetite for souls. God is giving you a passion for the lives of other men and women. So soul winning is not so much the right formula, Luke. Soul winning is not so much the right method. Soul winning is the right heart, the right mind. Soul winning has to do with this passion, this love for people, this desire to get your arms around them and pray for them, this desire to open the word of God and see God's word change their life. Passion, soul winning becomes who you are, not what you do. It becomes part of your self-identity. You cannot separate soul winning from my heart because if you try to do that, you destroy the very essence of who I am. When I came to Christ, he entered into my life. He changed my life, and I had a passion to share him with others, and that's been the lifelong passion. It runs through my veins. It pulsates in my heart. It is not something that I do because somebody tells me I have to do it. it it's something I do because it defines who I am as a Christian. Evangelism is not a work of mine. It's a life of mine.
Now, Pastor Finley, I'm just going to take make a wild guess here that all of your evangelistic meetings didn't go as well as that first one in Trenton. Oh, they all didn't go as well as that. No, <laughs> they went better and better and better. <laughs> God kept doing things. You know, evangelism is so exciting. Miracle after miracle after miracle, I've seen God work. You know, I mean, I can remember Luke when. When I, when I walked around the Kremlin for the first time, you know, the Kremlin was the citadel of communism, and I walked around the, the Kremlin, I looked at the Kremlin auditorium where Andropov spoke and Chernenko spoke and, you know, Gorbachev spoke and Yeltsin spoke, and it seats 6,500. I remember walking around the Kremlin like Joshua walked around Jericho, and we prayed, Lord, give us the Kremlin auditorium. You know, no Christian of any faith had ever held evangelistic meetings in the Kremlin. In fact, no Christian probably uh, ever spoke from that platform. And I remember I'd walk around the Kremlin, we'd pray, Lord, give us the Kremlin. And we got word from the Kremlin right at the fall of communism that we would be able to hold evangelistic meetings in the Kremlin. We had 6,500 people the first night, six, I mean the first session, 6,500 the second session. I mean, that was a divine miracle. In the, in the annals of heaven, that, that was an incredible miracle. Recently... I was in the Ukraine holding an evangelistic meeting, and in 1954 in the Ukraine, uh, Nikita Khrushchev gave one of the most famous speeches of his career on dialectic materialism, on, on why materialism would triumph, why communism would triumph. It was the days in 54 when uh, the industry of the industrial revolution of communism was taking place, and their factories were booming, and they were uh, preparing for their space launches and so forth. Yeltsin walked out, Luke, on those wooden boards on the stage, stood behind, rather, rather, Gorbachev, walk out, what are, Khrushchev, 54. Khrushchev walked out behind the pulpit, and he said, humanism will conquer the world, materialism will conquer the world, and then Khrushchev said, all Christians will be destroyed in the Soviet Union, but we will save one who we will preserve and bring him up to a museum in Moscow and stuff him like an animal that has been shot like a deer so future generations can know what a Christian looked like. Wow. So in 1954, Nikita Khrushchev, in one of his famous speeches in Ukraine, in Kiev, said that all Christianity would be stamped out of the former Soviet Union and just one Christian would be left when he died, they would stuff him and put him in a museum in Moscow. A few years ago, I walked out on those same boards in that same stage to an auditorium similar to this that was filled with eager Ukrainians listening to God's word. I stood behind that podium that Khrushchev spoke from, and the cameras were turned on, and the message of Christ and the three angels went to 1,700 cities in the former Soviet Union. Nikita Khrushchev is dead, but God's message and God's word moves on because the kingdom of God will triumph. Amen. The Advent message will not be blown out like some flickering candle. Amen. You are on the winning side. Jesus and the Lamb are going to triumph over the dragon. The last chapter hasn't been written yet. The last act in the drama hasn't taken place yet. When as a young person you give your life to follow Jesus in evangelism, he will work miracles through you. So God took your humble beginnings and has used you to work miracles for his kingdom. 
There's a young person today, I'm sure, in our audience who's thinking, listen, I can't preach. I don't know how to give a Bible study. But yet, I've heard what you're saying, Pastor Finley. And I've seen how even you started and didn't seem to have success at the beginning. But I want to get involved. I feel that call. I just don't know how. How can that young person get involved? First, use the gifts that God has given you. There's a misunderstanding about spiritual gifts in the hearts and minds of many young people. Spiritual gifts do not come fully developed. So you may have latent gifts in your heart that God has given you by the Holy Spirit, but you will never know that you have those gifts unless you begin to follow the inclinations of the Spirit and use the gifts that God has given you. The lowest grade that I got in college, I got only two C's in all of my work in college. I had just become a Seventh-day Adventist, and I don't mind telling you, I got a C in speech. My professors were concerned because I couldn't speak without getting too anxious and nervous, and I would stand up and my knees would be knocking, my hands would be shaking, I would look at my notes and they would be going like this, you know. And so my wife worked in the gymnasium to help make her way through college and had the key to the place where they stored the baseball bats and the baseballs and the footballs and the basketballs. She gave me that key and I would preach sermon after sermon locked in that room and my first 15 converts were basketballs. I mean, they would shake and they would come forward in the altar call, you know. So gifts don't come fully developed. If you've got to lock yourself in some room, if God told you to preach, lock yourself there and practice, 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 practice. When we cooperate with God, the first time you go out and give a Bible study, you may be nervous. That's natural. The first time you go on the platform to speak, that's natural. You may feel nervous. But don't allow nervousness or anxiety from keep you from using the gift that God has given you. Now, everybody is not called to be an evangelist, but everybody's called to be a witness. Everybody's not called to give a Bible study, but everybody is called to be a witness. Every Christian. See, witnessing is not a gift of the Spirit. It's a calling for the Christian. So God calls us to witness. So just get on your knees and say, God, what do you want me to do to witness for you? Now, here are some very practical things, Luke. If you feel a call to more definite soul-winning ministry, there are many opportunities that you might have. There are short-term opportunities like, for example, Arise or Avco or the many other lay training Bible instructor evangelism programs that are affiliated with GYC and ASI. There are those kinds. God may call somebody here to ministry at one of the Adventist colleges, Southern or one of the other Adventist colleges. You may feel the call to ministry. Pursue those calls in your heart. Take advantage of every seminar. For example, my wife and I, Justin McNeilis uh, and uh, Chelsea Jordan, are going to be teaching a short seminar for lay Bible instructors uh, starting Wednesday night about July 2 and going through the 4th of July weekend in Orlando, Florida. And we'll take about 50 young people, maybe 100, and uh, probably around 100 young people, and we will have a training program for those young people. We'll bathe their minds in how to understand the Bible, how to memorize Bible texts, how to give Bible studies. It'll be for those serious young people, Luke, that really want to get involved in Bible studies. 
Uh, you may want to get involved in a program with It Is Written, like I Preach with Sean Boonstra. That may be one that you want to get involved in. You may want to get involved in a program like the Elijah Project, in, which empowers young people around the world. You'll be happy to know that there are young people around the world that are preaching God's Word. For the last two and a half years, the General Conference sponsored what we call the Elijah Project. We invested with ASI significant finances in that project and provided young people with sermon discs, new beginnings to preach. Up until today, we have had 220,000 people worldwide, young people between 15 and 35, who have been involved in the Elijah Project. They have held 26 or 7,000 evangelistic meetings, and these young people, to the glory of God's name, have had 100,000 baptisms. In South America, we've had 10,000 young people preaching. In Inter-America, 5 to 6,000 young people preaching. Across Africa, 6, 7,000 young people preaching. There is a youth movement that's occurring, not simply in GYC, but around the world today, young people recognize that they have the call to God to preach His Word, to share His love, and God's doing some powerful things through young people, Luke. So we have several thousand young people here at GYC. Just think of what we could do with hearts that were consecrated to God, hearts that wanted to carry out those, that burden and that, that passion that God wants to put in our hearts. I think some exciting things could happen, Pastor Finley. You know, Luke, when I think of young people today, they have so many gifts that God has given them, so much energy. Use your energy for something that's going to count at the end. When you come to the end of your life, if Jesus does tarry, and we believe that Christ is coming, but if he tarries, and you look back over your life, look back over it with a sense that you've given your life for something that means something. Don't look back over your life and say, you know, I spend my life, but what difference does it make now? I spend my life, but what do I have? A couple cars and a house and I've had some wonderful vacations. What do I have? Look back over your life and say, I invested it in loving people for Jesus. I invested it in sharing his love with others. I've invested my life in something that's going to account for eternity. Because one day, some boy, some girl is going to walk down, are going to walk down streets of gold in a place called heaven, in a land called eternity. And they're going to have tears coming down their face and they're going to say, thank you. It was a cold, snowy afternoon in Minneapolis. And I usually went out to some ice hockey game, but I couldn't even get out my driveway. And I said, who is this foolish young man walking up, trudging through the snow? And you gave me that piece of literature, and I was going to rip it up, and I was kind of rude to you, but I read it. And I went to the web page, and it led me to Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you when I was in the hospital that you came to pray for me. Thank you so much that you held that evangelistic meeting. I know you were discouraged. Only 15 people came, and it didn't look like anything happened. 
but the word of God was in my heart and in my mind. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving me that Bible study. Thank you so much for bringing me that loaf of bread and that granola when my wife was sick and you gave it to me. You live next door to me. Thank you for volunteering to cut my lawn. I saw in your life that Christian love and compassion, something that I wanted, and although you never knew it, I hungered for it. One day in a place called eternity, in a land called heaven, somebody's going to walk up to you, put their arms around you with tears streaming down their face and say, thank you for allowing the Lord to use you to touch my life. Your reward is not your name in the Adventist Review and Herald. <laughs> your reward is somebody hugging you in heaven and saying thank you for what Jesus did through you. It's not your name in union papers. It's not your name blazing in the lights of Adventist popularity. You will shine as stars forever and ever in God's kingdom. Amen. Throughout all eternity, soul winners are God's stars. Amen. That's the kind of life I want to live, don't you? Amen. Amen. Well, now our 3ABN audience is going to cut to some interviews in the back. And while they do that, Pastor Finley uh, was present at an anointing service for Alistair Huang last night. Uh, we anointed Al and prayed for him that, that God would lay his healing hand on Alistair. And so we thought we'd take a few minutes in our break in between Sabbath school and this mission segment, just to spend a few moments uh, praying for Alistair. We're going to split up into groups. We're going to spend a few moments praying for Al. Um, and then please take the time to uh, take care of whatever you need to take care of before we come back together for the Sabbath school segment. Pastor Finley also has a few words. Before we pray, I want us to pray intelligently. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about the prayer of faith. The idea in some minds is that if you pray and you have enough faith, God automatically heals. There's ideas in other minds, well, we pray for the will of God, and, um, but isn't it God's will to heal Alistair? So how do you harmonize all of that? I want us to pray intelligently. There is something more important to God than our physical healing. That is our salvation. Secondly, there is something more important to God than immediate healing, and that is that his name be glorified in all the earth. It is God's will to heal every single person we pray for. God's primary will was never sickness or suffering or heartache or death. Sickness is always an aberration of God's primary will. When you look at the Eden life, there Adam and Eve were filled with health. So sin broke that chain of health and brought disease. How can we pray intelligently? First, we know that it is God's will to heal our sick loved ones. We know for absolutely sure that they will be healed. There is no question about the willingness of God to heal our sick loved ones. There is only one question, the timing of the healing. 
That's the only question. Will it bring glory to God to heal our sick loved one immediately? Will it bring glory to God to heal our sick loved one gradually? Or will it bring glory to God to allow our sick loved one to be laid to rest with faith in his name and be raised in the resurrection? So we pray, Lord, we know it is your will to heal our dear brother. We know that you do not, your original plan was not sickness. If it will bring glory to your name, we pray for instantaneously healing. If it will bring glory to your name for our brother to trust you during the time of sickness and witness to doctors and nurses and others, we leave that with you. And even if in the deepest sorrow that we do not like, any loved one passes away, we still believe it's your will to heal, and the next time we see that loved one will be in the glory of the resurrection. So we pray, we do not demand God for instantaneous healing and feel if it doesn't come, we don't have faith. We rather pray for the salvation, that God's salvation glory will be revealed in this thing. We tell God that it is our desire to see our dear brother instantly healed. But we leave the timing of the gift with God. So as we pray, we're saying, Lord, we have faith. We believe you can instantly heal. We believe it's your will to heal. But we also believe that it may be your will to glorify your name through and in this sickness. It may be your will to glorify your name in a trusting faith relationship like martyrs had in the resurrection. So, Lord... We believe it's your will to heal. We trust you to heal, but we leave the timing of the healing to you, whether it's instant, gradual, or in the resurrection. We come together claiming a promise. Matthew 7 and verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Luke eleven thirteen and onward. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? Isaiah 53. With his stripes we are healed. Let's kneel together. Groups of two or three and open our hearts for our friend. We're praying for God gifts, God's gift of healing on our dear friend Alistair. We're praying that if it'll bring glory to God's name, God will give him instant healing. We're praying that if it bring glory to God's name more, that he'll be healed gradually. We are praying that through all of this, the salvation power of God will be manifest and in the conflict between good and evil, that Jesus will be triumphant. We're also praying that God will give comfort to his parents. That God will be preciously near in that hospital room today. We're also praying that God will give them the strength and give his brother the strength and his father and mother the strength. We're praying for them today. We're holding them up before God today. So let's come before our wonderful, loving Heavenly Father and petition this morning
for our dear brother Alistair Wong. While they're praying here in the auditorium, we want to be praying at home. I want you to be joining us with this prayer for Alistair. I'm with Chester Clark III. Chester is a director of Washita Hills Academy and also the college that's there. And uh, you know Alistair very well, don't you? Yes, I do very well. He's a student of mine. And he uh, did he go to Washita Hills? He did. He went to Academy and College. Amazing number of these young leaders uh, in this particular group, uh, the generation of youth. For Christ. For Christ, that's right. Have uh, attended Washita Hills Academy in Amity, Arkansas. It's a wonderful place, and uh, and and it's a place that the Lord has really used. While they're praying here in the background, um, we want to encourage you to be praying back at home. Um, Alistair is a dear friend of ours. He's a vice president of the of the Generation of Youth for Christ. He's a young person who's had a lot of impact and influence in um, bringing these conferences together, yes. and in and um and being used by God to share His Word with many around the world. Yeah. And um, you know, as we had an anointing service yesterday. Um, we contemplated just what Pastor Finley shared a few minutes ago, how God's timing is always best, how um, God may choose to heal him now instantly, he may heal to he, choose to heal him gradually, he may choose to heal him at the second coming, um, but God's, God's timing is best. Um, and we, we commit Alistair and, uh, and the generation of Youth for Christ, yes. each of these young people, to the Lord, and uh, know that he will, he will uh, glorify his name. Amen. You know, folks, some of us who have lived a number of years and have had uh, close to 50 years of ministry have been concerned about the future of the church, been concerned about the youth that were coming on. I want to tell you something. Having attended this particular conference, I can assure you we have no concern about the future of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and the youth and the leaders of the future. And this uh, movement actually started where, Chester? It actually started with young people on secular university campuses. And we have more there than we realize, don't we? We do. I know when I was pastoring in Arlington, Texas, uh, we uh, did a a survey and found that there were 400 students at that time attending the University of Texas at Arlington who were Seventh-day Adventists. That's right. From all over the country and from all over the world that we had no idea were there. And so that's a very special ministry, isn't it? It is, and this is the generation of Youth for Christ, the GYC movement, has really helped to to bring Adventist young people who weren't very well connected with their church and the mission of the church um, into that contact, into that direct uh, sense of, of message and of mission and importance, their importance in the final days of the work. You know, the amazing thing that I have noticed here with this particular group is there's a difference in the music, a difference in the messages, and just a great deal of difference between this particular group and uh, what we would we would call a normal uh, youth group. Uh, the manner of their dress, the way their hair is cut, the songs they sing. I want to tell you, I've been very pleased and very very impressed with uh, with this GYC. 
Well, you know, God is working. Um, God is working in the lives of young people today. I believe that. And what young people want, young people want something that's solid. They want something that's biblical, utterly. Right. They want. They want. They want a cause worth dying for if they're going to live for it. That's right. And uh, the Adventist message and the Adventist uh, movement, the Adventist church, is just that kind of a cause. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.